Now it's time for a segment we like to call Off Screen Pays the Bills. Hey, Adam. Hey, Van, what's going on? Ain't nothing going on but the rent. You know how it is. And so this week, we're glad to be able to thank our sponsors at Shelter, the architecture channel. Architecture should inspire you, but your most design content's been hijacked by repetitive, reality-style television. And Shelter's the only channel in the world now that brings you high-quality, authentic programming on architecture, urban planning, and the built environment. I'm a bit of a nerd for this stuff, I'm, I'm going to be completely honest. And Shelter comes with a whole bevy, a showcase of award-winning feature films, original Originals, episodic series and shorts, along with dedicated channels such as the Michael Blackwood Architecture Collection, the Design and Motive, Nine Secundant, Never Too Small, that one's a favourite, Dwell and Green Magazine. It's got a curated film library that's, you know, can keep you entertained, creative and inspired, and you can learn from the great Starkitects, as they call them, such as uh, Zaha Hadid, John Lautner, Harry Sadler and Tadal Ando. And you can delve into small space living with, uh, well, kind of stalwarts and titles of the channel like Tiny Spaces, Shipping Home I mean everyone's a fan of Shipping Home videos aren't they? Uh, small is Beautiful Never Too Small and Microtopia. It's a bit of a, bit of a theme that uh, <laughs> tends to be a bit prevalent uh, You can explore sustainable solutions with shows like A Simpler Way Life Off Grid, Living the Change and The Mill and there's no algorithms here. This is all like handpicked for you by the team at Shelter who bring you exclusive originals you won't find anywhere else including uh, popular first-run debut series like Inspired Architecture. And the best part is, because our planet is the home we all share, the good people at Shelter plant a tree for every subscriber every month. So get inspired now with Shelter, the architecture channel. George Foreman's taking us into polite society, and because Little Richard's everything, we're going to the rodeo on an unlikely pilgrimage with Harold Fry. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Adam Ball, and this is Offscreen, your seven-day guide to everything movies. Boom. Groovy. So, hello and welcome back to the podcast. We have got a load of new movies to talk about tonight, of course. And uh, we're going to start with Polite Society. So, talk to me about this, man. This looks like quite a deep movie. Well, do you know what? It, you'd think that. You'd think this is. There is depth to it. You know, I'm going to get that. There is depth to this, but uh, there's something of a bait and switch going on as well. I think we've been we've been stealth served a bit of a gem here, Mister Ball. So for our first movie this week, it's it's something a little subversive. It's something you might not have seen coming. This is this is jumping out from the shadows, and it's going to effectively get you very very well. So. New movie from uh, Nida Manzor. Uh, I think largely best known for having directed uh, or the, the, the lady parts on uh, Peacock, I think. A series about young Muslim women and sort of rebellious punk band uh, type thing. She's been a, a director for hire on like Doctor Who, I think one of the uh, Jodie Whittaker seasons. Anyway, she has now given us the story of uh, two Muslim sisters growing up in Britain. Uh, one played by Priya Kansara, the other one played by uh, Ritu Aya. Uh, Aya is the slightly older one who has sort of gone away to art school, dropped out, and come home. You've got the younger one who uh, wants to uh, who, who wants to be a stunt woman of all things. She wants to be an old school, dyed in the wool, hardcore British stunt woman like Eunice Grayson. Uh, she's Rhea. So. What you've got is a situation where Lena, the older sister, finds herself being charmed by, you know, the local Prince Charming bachelor type with marriage proposed and she's swept off her feet. And younger sister Rhea 
figures out that something's maybe not quite up with her new potential brother-in-law and sets out to expose him. But, and here's the twist, all of this is presented as if it's Scott Pilgrim versus the world, with some of the stylistic trappings of Bendit-like Beckham, all of the teenage girl ennui of Angus thongs and perfect snogging, and all of the societal awkwardness of, di- of Diary of a Wimpy Kid. And by the way, did I mention Scott Pilgrim versus the world? Because yes, it's even got the fight scenes. Have a listen to this. Oi! Stunt woman. Show us a stunt then. Kovac, I've had enough of your for one morning. Minus 10 house points. Insubordination. You can't minus house points. Oh, I think you'll find I can. Leave it, Ria. Yeah, come on, let's go. It's not worth it. No. Let's dance. There's something mysterious about the sound of this movie, if I'm honest, from what I just heard there. Oh, I really loved it. I had such a blast with this. Um, it went in, and I genuinely thought, look, at best, you know, this will be some, like, vaguely charming, familial, you know, dramedy about sisters. Like, at best. And I came away, and I just, I'd had a ride. Like, I actually went on, like, an action-adventure ride. in, And in a way that you can draw comparisons with something like Everything Everywhere All at Once. In the way that that combines its fantasy stylings with familial drama, with, you know, with character development... I think this is gen- this is a genuine comparison to be made. Obviously, not in the same league. I mean, this is never winning Best Picture or anything, but this the makings of, believe it or not, a, a female Edgar Wright here. I, I really think there is. There's energy to this. That central performance by Priya Kansara, I'm a huge fan of. Like, she's got a very specific frequency. Like, and it's one of those where that frequency lines up with the material and the results are the best they could possibly be. I like the, the relationship she shares with uh, uh, Rita Raya as, uh, as the older sister. Like, I mean, even though they're separated for, I think, slightly too long of the runtime, there is a powerful chemistry that does manage to sustain the sort of absence. And, uh, I mean, my absolute favourite thing, above all else, is just give me any movie in which uh, uh, Nimrabusha gets to do exactly what Michelle Yeoh did in Crazy Rich Asians and just go full Joan Collins mode. Like, you give me any movie in which Nimrabusha gets to chuck her hat in that ring, you've got my money. And she's been doing this a lot lately. I think she did the exact same thing in Ms. Marvel about three to six months, maybe nine months ago, I think that was now. It's a bit longer for reasons. Um, This is just a really solid film. And I think as well, there is a movie here that very clearly can resonate. Something of a cult classic for definitely teenage girls between, say, 12 and 16, at a guess. I think there's, there's, a, there's an audience there that are going to absolutely lap this up and for whom it very well could become, in a perfect world, their Scott Pilgrim. What's the... Um, I mean, I know you touched on the, the action scenes, but I mean, are we talking mm. like proper big, you know, big yeah. big action scenes? Well, yeah. But again, n- not to hammer the, the actual comparison point home too much, but yeah, like Scott Pilgrim, this is going into anime territory. This is wire right. foo. 
this is this is running up walls and backflipping. Remember, this character wants to be a stuntman, so this is all taken within a certain comic book aesthetic of the movie. But this is set in a real world. This is, you say, it's an inventive script. It's very sharp. There's a very clear and concise voice that's that's propelling the direction of this, and it balances. As I say, it is in the same way as everything, everywhere, all at once. Something that does noticeably straddle the balance well between the fantastical and, for lack of a better one, the familial. And I think that's that's not an easy thing. Can you see a sequel? But, not for this particular story, but I can see that <laughs> but I can see Nina Mazur doing this a lot and it being her gimmick, the way that Edgar Wright chucked out the Cornetto trilogy. Like, please absolutely do that. I mean, you've got my money for two more of these, definitely. Just you know, about different characters that happen to star the same cast. Go to town, Nina, please. Well, this one's in cinemas from today. Is this one that really you should see in a cinema? Because I know sometimes we'll we'll review movies and you'll say, yeah, you can watch this at home. It won't take away anything. But with the action scenes you're talking about, this sounds to me like really you need to go to the cinema and watch it. I, I found the cinema experience definitely was, was, kind of, was kind of essential to some of the bigger moments of this. But having said that, because it is, like I said, it is about that balance, you can make the same argument that with the, the sort of nature of the character-driven sort of side of this, the, the dramatic sequence, the, the, the dramatic elements to it, um, the dramatic threads, it can work as well on a on a home screen down the line. But I will say, go and see that. It's really charming. Like it, I, I can't. I was so won over by it. I really, I had no sort of real expectations of it one way or the other beyond maybe a certain image of what it might be like. And okay, I was a little bit off, but yeah. Damn, this is this is just a really charming, really winning, likable, a very endearing movie. I, I I'm a big fan. I loved it. It's a five star one from me. I if I I, I got honestly, I wish I wish I still lived in that era when I my sister was like 13, 14, so I could throw a VHS of this at her. You know, in the like the, the sort of late nineties, but you gotta watch this. You'll love this and be proven exactly right because that's what growing up with me as a brother is like. And yeah, this would be one of those. Well, if you want to make your own mind up, Polite Society is in cinemas from today. All right, we have got two new movies to talk about in just a minute. We're going to look at Little Richard, I Am Everything, which is, I'm really keen to find out what you thought of that. Uh, And we'll look at Rodeo as well in just a second. So stay right where you are. We'll be back in a moment. So hello and welcome back. We have got two more new movies to talk about. Um, Little Richard in a moment. First, though, if you are a fan of uh, dirt bikes and speed and the smell of petrol, I'm assuming this one might be up your street. From what I've seen as far as uh, the, uh, the the trailer goes in the synopsis, it's called Rodeo. Uh, what did you think, Van? Uh, I mean, I, I, I don't like to, to jump off the bat and bury the lead, sir. I mean, damn. I mean, let's let's let's, let's get some suspense going. So, um, new movie from uh, <laughs> new movie from French director. I think it's Lola Quiveron. 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 Sorry, uh, who gave us Son of the Wolf? I think back in want to say 2016 maybe 2015 uh this it's worth noting by the way if you pull this up on imdb this is one of my favorite bits of trivia about it they did feel the need to tell you that the original title of rodeo in its mother tongue is rodeo so 
take from uh, that what you will. Okay. Yeah. So uh, this is uh, this is a movie about uh, about Julia. She is a young woman from grows up uh, in the projects, grows up in low income housing with her uh, abusive mother. Uh, she dreams of. Uh, becoming part of the motor motocross racing world and what she's got is she's got a scam going where she finds guys who are selling motorbikes online so that she can go and like pose for someone as someone who's trying to buy them uh go and give them a test ride and then nick off with them effectively and that's how she sort of gets her thrills uh, and she finds herself falling in with um, a gang of local moto, moto, motocross, is it motocross or motocross, I'm sure, uh, riders who also happen to moonlight Fast and Furious style as uh. motocross bike thieves. So imagine, if you will, a Fast and Furious type tale, but French, set in Tunisia, and one in which the, let's just say, elevated melodrama has been kicked up a notch. Like, this is less an action movie than it is a sort of character thriller. And right. it is about this this young woman uh, basically trying to graduate her way into the clan. She pitches her own heist, and as that heist starts to come together, how the bonds that she's made start to come apart. Now, I, I expect it to be honest with you. It, it's a Curzon movie. Now, I'll say this straight off the bat. This is in no way. Don't assume that I'm about to damn Curzon because I never would. Right. Curzon release amazing movies like a standard. There's like Curzon and Dogwoof. You wouldn't think of. They, Dogwoof do it with documentaries. Curzon do it with art house foreign language subtitle films. And nearly everything they put out almost always turns out to be bloody brilliant. Okay. The problem is they're always like really long runtimes and really dry sounding concepts and they sound really off-putting until you put them on and then you are blown away by one of the best movies you've seen in months okay that's tends to that tends to be what happens now dog wolf instantly have, have done the little richard documentary we'll talk about in a minute right um, okay so going into rodeo before i found out what the actual plot was like it occurs a movie it's called rodeo this is going to be a long afternoon. I deliberately saved it for last this week in the running order. I could not have been more wrong, sir. I was. I went on an absolute journey with this movie. It's a real thrill ride. Like it really, it really takes you there. You feel. You actually feel the powerful sensation of that 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 engine vibrating between your thighs as as this character just romps along on this coming of age journey through what can only be described as. Lahain Fast and Furious 12A. You know, and, and that, I'm really impressed by that. I did not expect that at all. Um, I, I think that the marketing push on this, please sell this as more actually of a mainstream, uh, you know, popcorn you know, kind of pleaser. Because uh, not what I expected in the slightest was absolutely just taken away by it. Uh, Julie LeDrew uh, plays the lead, plays Julia. Um, phenomenal performance. Not seen her in anything before, but I will now actively look out for her because the turn she put in here, I thought was great. However, and this is where you take a five-star movie and you, you go home with four. Uh -oh. Maybe less. Maybe less, actually. Right. You, you remember Fight Club? Yeah. Right. You, you know how Fight Club just ends at the perfect moment? 
Like it doesn't outstay its welcome. It gets that moment. They're, they're on top of the tower and it's Aldebaran Carter and Edward Norton. The buildings are blowing up behind them. The, the pixies are playing and you're in the audience questioning your entire life and whether or not you really have much of an interest in continuing this. Yeah, that, that moment. It, the film knows to just stop right there before it pushes it just a little bit too far. Right. Yeah. There are movies that could do with learning that, and this is one of them. Because this ends, and it ends perfectly, and then it pushes it for about another 60 seconds, and it pushes it just a little bit too far. Like, it ends with this perfect moment, maybe about as subtle as the final shot of, of Scorsese's The Departed, you know, if we're going on, on sort of rope spectrum, but it kind of ends perfectly. There'd be no better way to end this, and then... It just keeps it going for just those 60 extra seconds that just run too long and it gets away from them and they ruin it. And it that it just knocks the, the it just knocks the cherry off the top of this otherwise really, really well well done, elegant Sunday. And I really resent that. Well, I don't know what happens in that 60 seconds, but for you to take one or maybe two stars away, it's got to be something pretty serious. Let's put it that way. Yes, it's a total, total <laughs> tonal shift. Absolute tonal shift. And as I say, I resented it because it undermined everything about the movie I just sat and enjoyed. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's enough to make me want to watch yeah. it, if I'm honest, just to find out <laughs> what that last 60 seseconds is. Um, but if you want to watch it, it's on Curzon from today. Well, it's in cinemas. Now, it's in Curzon uh, cinemas and on Curzon Player, so you can. Ah, uh, right, okay. Out. Cinemas as well. Great. Well, up next, then he may have been as famous for his pounding piano style, pompadour hairdo, makeup, and outrageous antics on stage as he was for his music. Let's talk about Little Richard. Oh, I'm not going to lie. When you said he might as well, he might have been as famous for his pounding, and then you paused for a half a second. I died a little inside and wondered if he could be Ofcom uh, charged. So please don't ever give me that kind of an embolism again. Yeah, um, so All In, uh, the Fight for Democracy documentary from a couple of years ago. Director of that, Lisa Coat. Uh, I think it's Lisa, Lisa Coat. Uh, Lisa Cortez, Lisa Cortez, sorry, um, has is, is back with this one, which is a chronicle of not just the life, but the arguably complicated and prevalent legacy of the OG, very very first king of rock and roll, mm. you know, Little Richard, you know, who, you know, kind of came along. You know, he, was, he was he was before everyone. He was before. Uh, you know, uh, before Michael Jackson, before Elvis, before before everyone else that ever tried to be the king of pop. We're going to get to that in the clip, believe me. And they get access to absolutely everyone in, much like uh, Cortez's previous documentaries. I think it was, was it Hip Hop X, the fashion one as well? Sorry, go on, you want. I was going to say, when you're saying he came before everyone, I mean, Jimi Hendrix was a backing musician for him. I yes. mean, that says it all. Yeah. Well, but that's it. That's it. Uh, um, uh, there's a James Brown one. I remember the James Brown uh, movie Get On Up, as well. And and you know, Little Richard is is sort of the the mentor figure in that. So like, yeah. It, it this comes up in the documentary as at one point, sort of towards the end, we are shown very very glaringly obvious examples of artists doing the exact same shtick today that originates with Little Richard. And we're talking about like archive clips of like Harry Styles and people like that, like kind of modern artists, you know, up in there. Um, but say, neither here nor there. This is this is about the man as much as it is his influence, Avalis. And this is Little Richard, 
I am everything. Little Richard was the first thing I remember. Like as far as rock and roll is concerned. One time, Elvis came backstage, and Elvis said, well, Richard, don't you ever worry about anything. You will always be the true king of rock and roll. Of course, Elvis Presley and the Beatles covered his songs, didn't they? The, the, and you get to see um, uh, you get to see uh, the, the the pictures of them of them all meeting at different points through through history and the stories behind them. And we actually get archival footage of the Beatles at different points in their careers talking about what an honour it was the first time they met Little Richard and what big fans they were and how they were all nerding out. And you see like the photo of like your little like nineteen year old like you know George Harrison who apparently George Harrison was speechless. And just, it's a really sweet documentary, but it's also a very powerful one. And it, I, I, there's, I don't know, obviously, from a worldly privilege outside of the economics, obviously, I, I would, I'd be, you know, remiss in considering a lot of the, uh, the absolute strides that Richard came to represent in his career and exactly what he meant to so many people. And it's a really great profile, as I say, of both the life and the legacy. And it is important given that it is Little Richard, they kind of do focus on both. There is that temptation, and it's it's kind of the Elvis problem to an extent. Do you go for the man, or do you go for what he represents and what he led to, you know, what he influenced? Because either one works, but getting them both right, that's where the gold is, and the best ones of these do tend to be the ones that nail that exact balance. Uh, I think this is an absolute winner. As you could hear in the clip, you, there was Mick Jagger, I think, in that clip. We've got talk mm. about all this. Uh, 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 Paul McCartney's in there. There's absolutely everyone is in this documentary. I mean, there are probably more people, and then they all got cancelled before this as well. There's just everybody you could think of is in this is in this documentary. It's absolutely terrific. Um, very, you know, very well well put together. Very elegantly packaged it's not going to reinvent the wheel or anything like that um it, it's not like a, a groundbreaking visual aesthetic or anything like that but it's a tight and tidy one it's glossy it's engaging it's a it has nuance it has depth it has things to say and it does have insight um but at the same time it does have that it does have that rock and roll swagger it has got some of that and i think to be honest given that it's the rich, little richard one of these it's probably the thing that it needs the most if we're honest I'm just, I absolutely love the sound of this, and I just think it's great that he's getting that recognition for maybe younger generations that didn't quite know how big he was, um, mm. and you know how how much of an influence in the music world he actually had. So brilliant! If you want to see it, Little Richard, I am everything. It's in cinemas and on Dogworth Player from today. Uh, right, still to come, we're going to look at the new big George Foreman movie uh, in just a few minutes. So stay where you are. Hello and welcome back to the podcast then. Uh, right, we're going to look at um, Harold, uh, Harold Fry very soon. But first, George Foreman, the life and boxing career. Well, I mean, I, I, I personally am disappointed it's not the life, the boxing career, the born-again Christianity <laughs> and the deep-fat friar-selling <laughs> career of, you know, 
Mm -hmm. Big George Foreman. <laughs> I mean, it's worth that. First of all, I'm just going to say that I'm, I'm not going to bury the lead on this one. The Grill gets a single line in this whole movie, right? A movie about George Foreman. One line about that grill. One line. That thing changed the world. That thing changed and being changed his and changed his bank account, no doubt, as well. Yeah, that, that actually is plot relevant, and that's the way that it's actually introduced. Uh, right, okay, so first <laughs> of all, Big George Foreman. So this is brought to us by George Tillman Jr., who I believe we probably know best for having directed... Uh, he directed the, the Barbershop trilogy. I think he also produced uh, Beauty Shop, the spin-off of that. He did The Hate You Give a few years ago and has now done the George Foreman biopic. Which, to give it its full title, and I swear to God, I'm not making this up. This is its official title. Big George Foreman, colon. The miraculous story of the once and future heavyweight champion of the world. That's, that's so its that's full So there's a synopsis in the title. Exactly that. <laughs> now, if you go on IMDb, it's worth noting that the actual synopsis, and I had to do this just to prove a point, the actual synopsis on IMDb is The Life and Boxing Career of George Foreman. Now, let me just read out the title again. Big George Foreman, Colin, the miraculous story of the once and future heavyweight champion of the world. There are, as you have just pointed out, more words in the title of this movie than there are on its own IMDb plot synopsis. A plot synopsis which leaves so so much out and oh strap on in mr ball because i'm gonna take you on a ride oh, no. son. oh my god have i got a ride for you okay so we open with george foreman as a little boy when he grows up in relative poverty you know finds himself growing into his teenage years sort of life of crime having gone through a school system in which he's bullied he's ridiculed the other kids call him george poorman that's what they do they they, they taunt him with their oh. crumbs and they call him george poorman and this leads him to life you know criminal stuff in his 60s his teens etc um he finds himself being put into a u.s you know as, as a sort of like uh, as a sort of uh, a, a way of escaping his situation going into a u.s job jobs core uh program in which he finds a new mentor played by uh forrest whitaker who notices that george can punch like he's really strong he can take a punch too and not really react george isn't that bright you see but george also turns out can really smack a guy and if you combine those two and you combine them with rules and training you could be the heavyweight champion of the world and that's what our boy george who by this point is played by chris davies in his more adult years goes on to do until one fateful day when there's a match called the rumble in the jungle do you remember what happened in the rumble in the jungle mr ball oh no enlighten me he got his ass handed to him by Muhammad Ali in a famous manoeuvre we now know oh. as, the, as the rope-a-dope. That was it. Took him to the ropes, let him wear himself out, and then beat the hell out of him. In, in relatively quick succession as well, it's worth pointing out. This, now, that's history. This movie then follows on from that with a, a, a new perspective in which we're following it all from Foreman's side, and he has to deal with the psychological toll this takes on him and how it leads him to find God and try and become a preacher and start his own church and youth centre. The only thing is, these aren't things that pay money. So he has to go back into boxing. 
but he's old now. But he's still got something in the tank, because it turns out he's really good at taking a punch and not reacting, but also dishing out a punch. And it turns out that if you combine that with rules and training, then you could actually just, just have the clip, honestly. Josh Foreman ain't no new champ. He is the new chump. We gonna get it on because we don't get along. Foreman goes down! Who said that? Nobody said nothing, George. George! Your heart stopped. You thought he was dead. Or worse. I'm done. I'm not going to box anymore. Do you know what you're walking away from, son? I want to spread the word of God and what I saw. How's being a preacher going for you? It's hard. Harder than getting punched in the face. See, so far, to me, this sounds like a really good movie. Yeah, they've packaged it wrong? really well. They've packaged it well in the marketing, haven't they? Well, it's very easily, very easy to sell an inspirational boxing tale. It's not exactly a challenge. You've got Ali, you got Ali in there. You know, you've got George Foreman. You could make a decent spin of some drama. Uh, right. Thing is, they've come at this from entirely the wrong angle. And G George Foreman as a character, if you're being faithful to the man, this ain't the film to do it with, for starters. I mean, you, you don't go down. Not a faith-based, feel-good drama. No, you don't go down that route with Foreman because, frankly, it doesn't fly in much the same way you wouldn't do it with Tyson. You know what I mean? Like, nobody's trying to make a feel-good movie out of Mike Tyson. And, yeah, there's, there's, and there's an element of that with, with, with Foreman. I will say, credit where it's due, like Chris Davis, very good. Like, you know, it, he, I, he, he does a very good job of... Again, that, that difficult balancing act of I'm playing Foreman, I need you to know that I'm George Foreman at the same time. I don't want you to feel like I'm impersonating George Foreman. Like I say, very, very good. He is infinitely better than the movie he's doing it for. Like, that. that's straight off the bat. The, the movie is <laughs> nowhere near as good as Chris Davis is being George Foreman in it. Like I say, he's, he's pretty solid. The movie itself is neither pretty nor solid. Very ho-hum, like a two-star tumdrum, like a faith-based pure flick. So remember faith-based ones from pure flicks, like God's Not Dead and garbage like that? This is one of those. Because for one thing, why am I watching a boxing movie all about the power of Christ and belief? Who looked at the story of George Foreman, a, a man who staged this very bizarre literal Rocky Balboa, I mean, I do mean the movie rather than the character, Rocky Balboa plot arc in conjunction with selling a grill and thinks, that's that's how we'll do it. We'll appeal to the Jesus folk. Who did that? I mean, uh, tell me at least there are some good fight scenes in this. Right. Now, this is where the film, for me, scores one of its only two stars. Now, what I'd give it two stars, and one star is for the Chris Davis performance. Uh, the other star is just for... There's some very good recreations. You know, just, just neat little recreations of scenes. There was one of them, actually, that involved Evander Holyfield in the 1990s. In fact, it might have been 1990, in which... I couldn't tell if they'd actually gone and gotten a lookalike to be Evander Holyfield, 
or if they had actually just used visual trickery and inserted the actor into the actual footage. Now, I couldn't tell. And that's, that's something. For a movie that otherwise feels as cheap as pure flicks, hallmark, made for streaming, whatever faith-based platform nonsense they have now. Do you know, it, it just in, in, in the lights and like that, I was genuinely blown away by that level of actual production. That was, again, bizarre. It's better than the movie it's in. And made no sense to me. I'm assuming the soundtrack hasn't got a patch on Rocky either. Hell no. It's worth noting as well. I mean, if you stack this one up against, like, for the like, I mean, given certain plot events, isn't it? Stack it up against, like, Michael Mann's Ali, which I actually revisited a few months ago. The Will Smith, Muhammad Ali movie from 2001, I think. There was a, it was an Oscar nominee. I think yeah. he and John Voight, I think, got Oscar nominated for it. Um, yeah, which, great movie. I said, I revisited that recently. Stack this up against that. And this is, like, Scrappy do when he's being held at arm's length, and he's like, "Let me at him! Let me at him!" This is this is this is like that. It's it's pathetic. It's honestly, this is just it's it's embarrassing. It, it, I honestly, I'm sat there watching it, thinking, like, I just I feel so bad, like for for so many people involved in this movie because this just it, it just feels so cheap. It, it feels so funny, like Forrest Whitaker. I mean, I, presu- I presume the majority of the budget went on Forrest Whitaker. I mean, and, and he's he's phoning it in, but Forrest Whitaker <laughs> phoning it in, he's still better than most of the actors. I, I need to stop, because if I keep... I could do this all day. It's a really spectacularly terrible movie. In fact, I'm leaving one thing out. Can I just single out Sullivan Jones as well, who's Muhammad Ali? Oh, my God, I just I wanted to laugh. It was like a, like a vaudeville performer. It was like a working men's club act. It was, oh, God, it's just... Okay, so it's called. Let me sorry. Let me give it its full title before we sign off. I'll say it's called. I don't want to sell anyone Please do. short. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, it, it's called uh, Big George. I'm going to post it right here for you. It's Big George Foreman, the miraculous story of the once and future heavyweight champion of the world. It's in cinemas from today. I would suggest you not be. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like it's a bit of a risk to have put it straight to cinema rather than streaming um, from what you said about it. But I mean, I'd have put it straight, I'd have put it straight to the petrol station, if I'm honest. <laughs> 99p discount yeah. ba- um, basket, right? Get, you get, 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 well, pay as, £50 for and, fuel and get a bag of minstrels and, and this you know, George Foreman biopic on DVD. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you want to make your own mind up, it is in cinemas from today. Um, we've got one more new movie to talk about, and that is The Unlikely Pilgrimage of Harold Fry, which we'll uh, see what Van thought about that in just a second. So welcome back for One Last Ride. We are now going to look at The Unlikely Pilgrimage of Harold Fry. If I'm honest about all of the movies that we've been talking about today... This is the one I really wanted to hear what Van thought of the most. So, please tell me it was good. I mean, again, you keep you keep doing this. You, you keep kind of trying to get rid of spoil the review for you. You just tell you, you want your dessert before you want your dessert before your appetizer and your main course. Who I doesn't? You, I mean, yeah. To be fair, I mean, so many people are burning in and trying to persuade my uh, parents. Let me get my ice cream sundae up front. <laughs> <laughs> 
full meal. I am that child. Yeah, you have to get a full meal if you want enough tokens to get that uh, Tom and Jerry bum bag that they used to uh, they, they used to give oh. three, three, four visits. And so fanny pack to our American listeners. I'm aware of that one. Uh, right, so based on the book by uh, Rachel Joyce, who has also written the screenplay for the movie. It's directed by uh, Hetty McDonald. Starring, as you well know, sir, uh, Jim Broadbent as Howell Fry, Penelope Winton, aka Sean's mum, or, uh, yeah. <laughs> or who's the uh, who's the MP from uh, from uh, 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 Doctor Who, Harriet Jones, Harriet Jones from Doctor Who, her as well, right. and. Um, it basically, he receives a letter one day. It's contemporarily set. Uh, he receives a letter one day from an old friend who's now in, now in a hospice, just wants to say goodbye. She's facing her last days. And he says, do you know what, Steve? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and visit her. I'm going to give her hope. I'm going to give her something to live for. I'm going to walk to her. The only difference is, he's the only problem is he's in Devon and she's in Berwick-upon-Tweed. So, best get walking, son. Have a listen. Could I leave a message for Queenie Hennessy? Tell her Harold Fry is on his way. I'll keep walking and she must keep living. Harold! I'm walking a long way, but I haven't quite got the hang of it yet. You stink. Where are you? I'm going to save Queenie Hennessy. Have you been drinking? The only time you walk is to get to the car. I need to do this, Maureen. Walk to Berwick-upon-Tweed. It can only be about 500 miles. This sounds like a lot of fun, if I'm honest. Uh, is, is there a lot of comedy moments in here to laugh at? That's kind of the problem, right? Like, you'd think it. You really would think oh, it. Oh, no. The poster, I think, they're marketing this as like a feel-good kind of, oh, best exotic marigold hiking trip kind of a kind of a time. And, oh, my God, it's not. Okay, so first of all, there's, there is a problem because there's a vast chasm running through the centre of this film. And that's the fact that you've got two leads who are both playing and have been written into completely opposing films that simply do not work together. So on the one hand, you've got Jim Broadbent, who is going for this sort of a walk in the woods, Bill Bryson does David Lynch's A Straight Story kind of a movie. And then you've got Penelope Winton, who's in like a Mike Lee movie. And the problem is, this not only runs with that, it also features bloody Linda Bassett, who's also in Mike Lee movies. I mean, she gets naff all to do, so it's not that distracting. <laughs> but, I, I, and then somewhere in the middle of these two vastly different movies, you've just then got this awkward result, which is this tonally odd kitchen sink road movie that you'd give three stars to, because on balance, it mostly comes out quite charming. And I suppose, do you remember, do you remember the sequence in Forrest Gump when he says that one day I just started running and he runs across America? Yeah. Remember that sequence? Yeah. Imagine that as a whole bloody yeah, film, yeah. but he's a geriatric. Like, that's basically the concept. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> yeah. It's, that's painted a picture. Yeah. I, 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 that's it, really. I mean, I'm not saying that we needed a Forrest Gump sequel, but I'm saying we certainly don't now. Um, I, I say, I, I I was charmed by the performances, uh, but to be fair, I kind of expect that of both of these performers, like, even in their worst films, they... we Come on, it's Penelope Winston and Jim Broadbent. Well, they're, like, two of the best. You know what I mean? They are British acting royalty, and they are 
for a reason, as, as they aptly demonstrate here. They can literally stroll through this blindfolded and absolutely take it away. I think the film doesn't quite feel as well thought out on the on 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 the well the script page and the script. If I say on the page, given that it comes from a novel, I'm, I'm being disingenuous. I've not read the novel. However, I can very much imagine, given the way this has been written for the screen, that it probably suited a novel format a lot better, and that tonal shift probably flew a lot better in literary form, in prose form, because for a film, it simply feels messy and disjointed. And I think it ruins a lot of the momentum and flow that it tries to build along the way, that it needs to keep going. Not that, not to take anything away from those performances, they are great performances. But again, their performance is better than the movie that they're in. I guess from what you're saying there, you know, as a novel, it's allowing you to paint your own pictures in your head, whereas as a movie, it's put in front of you. And if it's not done right, you think, get the response yeah, you're giving. I think we're we're more we because I think we're used to being taken on more of a tonal journey, uh, tonal journey. Sorry, uh, in literary form. I I think it's something uh. that I think the way that they try to do that with this particular story is just not something that works for the screen. I think it is something that if you're going to do it, you'd. I think you need a stronger more distinct director on something of more of an auteur vision than what you have here. Like, I mean, I, I, I say it's not a mark of, I, there's very few of those directors in the world and, you know, not even all directors that we give the auteur moniker to now would necessarily be able to pull it off. I can't, for instance, imagine a David Fincher version of this. You know what I mean? It's, it's something that I think would be difficult to get right. And I don't know of a director off the top of my head who probably could have nailed the tone that they try to go for in this. But I can tell you that the squad they've got behind this simply don't manage it effectively well enough. It is a, it is too disjointed, it doesn't quite work, and it does feel to the detriment of two really quite wonderful performances. Bit of a shame. Could have been a really good movie. Um, you, know, you know what else as well from what as, you said, but as Jim Broadbent and Penelope Winton's son in this, uh, there's actually and there was something about the way this kid looked. I had to look him up, and his name's Earl Cave. And I thought Earl Cave, hmm, that seems like a strange name. Uh, he's only Nick Cave's son. Yeah, Nick Cave's got a son named Earl. Oh, Earl Cave. Earl Cave plays Jim Broadbent's son in this. There you go. Well, every day's a school day. Um, if you want to make your own mind up and watch the unlikely pilgrimage of Harold Fry yourself, it is in cinemas from today. So, let's talk about some of the movies we're going to be looking at next week. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. I'm pretty sure you are very excited to watch that, Van. Yeah, I mean, I'd be slightly more excited if, you know, the man I co-host this with every single week for the last, like, you know, near year had at some point taken my advice and watched the first two bloody Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Oh, my God, you're supposed to be a music guy. How have you not seen Guardians of the Galaxy ball? Come on. I know. I did start the first one, but I'd been awake for 22 hours and I fell asleep after half an hour. So, you know, that's my excuse on that. But I will watch them. 
if that's an excuse you think flies, you would not have lasted five minutes alongside John Mosby and I at the great 2014 press conference of the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Oh no, sir. We pulled all-nighters for days and it was worth it. Uh, we have also next week got a film <laughs> called Lakelands, uh, which is, I believe, is an Irish drama about a footballer who survives an attack, has to deal with PTSD. Uh, we've got a new movie starring, oh, another Guardians alum, Laura Haddock, uh, best known as Will's love interest from the in-betweeners movies. Um, she stars alongside Tom Burke, a.k.a. Strike, in uh, The Laureates next week. I think we've got a Korean pilot movie called Born to Fly and Harker, which I think is an Egyptian street uh, Egyptian street drama, which uh, sounded quite good, actually, as well. So I'm saying it's going to be an interesting and very varied week next week, at the very least. Yeah, a full week of um, completely different genre Random movies. Ass by the movies looks of it. Yeah. So looking forward to yeah, it is pretty much like that, isn't it? Well, uh, we look forward to that and see what you think of them. Uh, you can get, get set to watching them this week and uh, we will hear what you think on the next podcast. Uh, well, that's all we've got time for on Off Screen. Now, I've been Adam Ball. I've been Van Connor and we shall return.